appear on the Smile Center Hotline, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios, with Jeff Calkins on today's show, presented by Red River Toyota in Wynn, Arkansas, online at RedRiverToyota.com. We're back with the Gabe Kuhn Show on 92.9 FM ESPN. want to understand my ups and downs, there you Jeff Calkins is columnist at the Daily Memphian and also hosts the Jeff Calkins Show 9 to 11 right here on these airwaves, 92.9 FM ESPN on Twitter at Jeff underscore Calkins. Jeff, how was uh, how was your weekend? I, I, I understand you did travel. You were traveling like, like I was. Yeah, I just had a small weekend in Colorado to see some friends, and now I am back. But I didn't uh, – there wasn't a lot of sports to miss. You know, it was, right. it was the British, which I – kept track of which wasn't close and it was and not close close and it, so it was not particularly suspenseful um and uh but i and then i didn't i didn't I, i'm a little envious of your producer because i didn't see <laughs> either barbenheimer two, i didn't see either of the two smash movies which i do intend to see i intend to see both of them yes. so i'm a little behind as we start the new week but i have water yes uh, clear tap water no uh, diesel in it. In tap water. I have uh, I have power, and so what more can a man uh, Memphian want, really? So we have. Let's see. We had Barbenheimer. We had Twitter. I shouldn't even said you're on Twitter at Jeff underscore Calkins. It's X now, right? I'm on X. You're on, I'm on X. <laughs> even though my app hasn't updated yet, so I don't. I, it's not X yet. It's no, still, mine hasn't either. Still like they say it's changed, but uh, my app still says. Well, it's like the it's like the, the blue bird. It's yeah. like the verification thing. He said it was going to be one day, and it never lands on that day because I don't know if he has enough employees in the building, Elon Musk, to uh, actually get things done in a timely manner. Because he fired all well, of them. He laid them all off. Obviously, he's obviously you know wildly successful and in some ways brilliant and all of that. It's it's a little mystifying, though, um, what has happened with Twitter in that we know that it was, it was having its struggles when he took over. Mm-hmm. But since then, half the advertising has departed um, by all reports. And now taking what seemed like a good brand name and uh, that, had, you know, that had built up over a lot of years and changing it. I, I don't care what it's called particularly. Um, I do care. The two things that I object to the most um, really are one. um, I I found the the old blue check mark to be useful because it was, you, you, you could, you could separate the wheat from the chaff. You could, you know, you could have a sense if someone was credible. Um, And so that was to me a useful thing that he did away with. And then secondly, just, the functioning of it. Like I find myself a lot of times unable to retweet something or whatever. Like it's just, it's balky. Um, and then I guess the last thing is, is that to the extent that it is, the, the great thing about Twitter was always that there was a critical mass of people on there. Um, and so to the extent that some have left, um, and I think some have left, I think it's, it, 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 it it, you know, it's 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 much less sort of the place to be, and therefore a, some voices that I respected left, and that sort of thing. So, but yeah. I don't care particularly what they label it. Um, so, 
I care right. about the functioning of it, and I'm a little. Well, I mean, I'll get over it. It's not the end of the world. But Twitter is not what it once was in terms of my own personal life and, and usefulness. I've always viewed it as a necessary evil. I mean, like if it right. if if we did not have to keep up with a Twitter account and tweet out our shows and put you, you're right. tweeting out stories. Would you, would you care? I honestly, I, I feel like it would take my screen time would go down. There, there are two times. There are two things that beyond, beyond that, which is exactly right, which is why most people in media tend to be on it. It's because they're, they're trying to, you know, they're trying to get their stuff out there. So that is the necessary evil part. The two things I liked about it. Um, it's really where I got news. You know, if I just want to at any one moment know what's happening in the world, just get a sense of, I've, I, I've, been, I've been writing a column for three hours, wonder what's going on. Right. I used to go on Twitter more than anyone, yeah, whatever. I go to CNN.com or you, like, where do you go? To go to Facebook and count, like, to, to make, to sort of just get a brief recap of, have I missed anything? Twitter is where I'd go because I had a lot of news sources that I followed. And if anything big was happening, it would just be all over the timeline. Right. And so, mm -hmm. um, so I used it for news. Um, like, um, when, uh, when, uh, what's his name? Nine 11, uh, uh, mastermind, uh, was killed. That's mm -hmm. how I found out. Right. When they, when they, Saddam. whatever, Osama bin Laden, Osama bin Laden. sorry, sorry, when sorry. Osama bin Laden was killed. Um, that's where I heard it even as far back as that. Right. And so, um, and then it did have some usefulness, less so now if you're watching the super bowl or the academy awards or some group communal watching activity right which doesn't exist as much like this weekend anyway. was yeah that, yeah but no but then you're not extending if you're in the movie theater right so, but if you're if everyone is at home watching the same thing it created a community of watchers people be getting off jokes about the same you know whatever about the same or getting off commentary about right. the super bowl or whatever it was and so but i can live without all of that i i don't particularly i don't particularly if twitter went away tomorrow or x went away tomorrow it wouldn't bother me it is funny to me and i should probably talk to my brother who teaches branding at northwestern about this <laughs> like what is what is the advantage here of calling it X, just like what is the advantage of calling, I mean, he's not alone in doing it. Facebook was renamed Meta, right? Or is being renamed Meta or something. Um, HBO Max is not Well, Meta's just the parent company, and they have threads yeah. now, too. Um, but HBO Max, or HBO is now Max, right? What was the point of that? Like, is there, it, it, this is not the only big company that has renamed itself, or big service that has renamed itself. And yeah, so, and trying to read through that's hard. Like, I don't know what he's rebranding it for in particular. Um, uh, other people have their thought processes about him, I, I, about what he's going to do in renaming it. I have no idea. I'm not even going to try to well, he speculate. It's because a, it's a, they want, he wants Twitter to be a, not just a social media where you talk to each other, which is what the, the blue bird sort of symbolized, but he wants it to be um, a payment platform. Right, right. Uh, in a, a payment service, uh, a direct messaging service, a you know Slack kind of thing, like whatever, like sort of an all-in-one. And I think X conveys more a sense of an all-in-oneness uh, uh, for the thing than Twitter did. But no, I, I like whatever. Yeah, that happened over the weekend, and the yep. fact that we're talking about it for seven minutes or whatever <laughs> it is, <laughs> right, suggests where we are. Yeah, because I truth matters. I bet most listeners right now are not on Twitter, even in its heyday, right? right? I think probably most weren't on Twitter. And so we spend, 
a lot of people in this business spend a lot of time talking about Twitter and it's always been dwarfed by Facebook. Like how much time do we spend talking on Facebook? Almost none. Right. Yep. And as a service and yet Facebook dwarfs Twitter. I got to um, say, I, I was I was honestly, you know, I, I'm on Twitter a lot. I was glad to be away from my phone. I had wedding festivities that I had to deal with from a high school friend. I was a groomsman in his uh and his uh, groomsmen party, and uh, I got to stay away from my phone the entire weekend. It was honestly, it's it's freeing. It's great. Yeah, it's good. it's fantastic. You didn't really miss much. No, I didn't. <laughs> I, I kept up with really the open when I could. I, I had it all, had my phone on the charger and checked the leaderboard every once in a while. Check back in. Brian Harmon stayed at the top the entire time. So there's nothing to it. I did see John Morant caught partying on video again. Was it Puerto Rico or Punta Cana or what? I think I saw I, that I, as well. I, I literally didn't even know that until Drew Hill uh, told me today that he was uh, seen, yes, on video. But uh, I, he, he raised he, unclear that it was even current. Like, right, it could have been a while ago. So, um, yeah, I, I, but I, as long as no gun was involved. I'm not uh, particularly. And uh, I didn't think we saw one. I think we're good there. No, no, there was a gun right. Just partying. I, I can deal with just partying. He's young. He can do that. That's fine. As long as the gun's not gun's not out on Instagram. I mean, if it line. matters, I think he'd probably be well to do less partying too. But whatever. Right. Like, I, I, this is a year. I think this would be a year for Ja <laughs> to, to focus on less on any of that. And, and, and also, on, it it does go back to the point. Go to go to maybe go to clubs that don't allow you to get posted well, on social it. media that's the, the there are that was a talking point clubs. we've gotten to we know lots of people who are like very rarely never on social media yeah, partying so yeah, anyway for sure so um but i will go see both films and i was impressed you know it's it's it is not the biggest weekend ever box office for a combined two films um there have been four yep that have been bigger but all four of the ones that were bigger in terms of money spent at the box office there was the, the second one of those films didn't even hit 15 million dollars so it was like it was uh you know it was one colossal film and then another that didn't even hit 15 million dollars this is the first time i mean we've had this time both films you know did better than 80 million dollars obviously barbie did practically twice as much uh businesses as oppenheimer but collectively really was a phenomenon across the country. And, you know, people have asked the question as to whether it will lead studios to, um, to commission and pay for and fund and support more original programming as opposed to just extending franchises. And I guess, while I think that would be a wonderful thing, I'm somewhat skeptical because franchises still feel safe, right? And these, um, sure, we have these these two films that did spectacularly well, but if you if you're in a if you're someone who who runs a studio, I think there are ways you can discount it. You could say, yeah, sure. If I have a if I have these you know if I have these two you know directors, then sure, then then you can do it with original programming. But I don't think we're going to see a big pivot from funding franchise movies to funding original programming. Yeah, and I, I do. Uh, one thing that is bothersome to a certain extent is seeing the box office return so, I mean, they're fantastic amid the Writers Guild and Actors Guild strikes. That, that, that's always tough to see, but I mean, people are going to go see. That'll catch you. I mean, in the end, like, I don't think one has anything to do with it. I, I don't think it is a blow to actors that these right. two, and to writers, that these two films did well. No. Um, I, just it, 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 seeing studios 
prosper to a certain extent throughout the throughout those strikes is always yeah. hey, that's tough because those those people need to get their money and we need to get get back to actually uh Paying yeah, our writers, yeah, you, you and potentially paying our writers and actors, and making it happen. Right, you can make an argument. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think any any I don't think any studios under the illusion that because that they can rest on their the money that came in this weekend. You know, and I, I gather, and this is not my area of expertise. Indeed, it's unclear what my area of expertise is, but this is not it. Um, <laughs> that that if you get into September, far into September, um, that's when we will start seeing. You know, on your uh, home screen or on the film screens, you'll you'll start to see a real change, long term in yeah. in what we're going to see. So. I feel like the beginning of the twenty twenty four, beginning of twenty twenty four is going to be pretty bare as far lean, as programming is lean. concerned. Yeah, nasty. Do you like reality TV? Do you like reality TV? What's I don't. I can't up? stand What's it, Jeff. Island? I'm going to be honest with you. Island? I, I'm not a Love Island guy. I can't do it. I've never been into it. I, I last, last like actual. I mean, this was when I was uh, growing up. When I was like a teenager, I watched Jersey Shore. I have not been into like real reality TV, like trash TV since. Drew, uh, Drew was very glad that his power was restored in time for. Uh, so he and his fiance can watch Love Island. So oh, there you go. Yeah, are you are you you're not into any of it, are no. you? Yeah, The Bachelor, Bachelorette, you stay away. I, I think I watched a season or two of The Bachelor. You know, maybe a season or whatever. I watched, you know, hell, I watched a season or two. I probably watched two seasons of The Apprentice back when it was right. Yeah. Um, I watched probably a season of Survivor, um, maybe two of Survivor, but um, no, no. I the reality TV I like is on Sunday afternoons. And Sunday mm-hmm. nights, and Monday nights, and Thursday nights, and Saturdays also good in the fall. Uh, so that's the reality TV that I prefer. Um, also, uh, before before I move on, are any updates on the diesel situation in Germantown and the water supply? Are we are we? I haven't seen still it. waiting. Uh, I haven't seen it. I mean, it is certainly it's scary. I would call it scary a kind of like comedy of errors, except there's nothing comedic about it. Right. right? The idea that you have a power outage. That leads to a generator uh, that leads to a generator leak of diesel fuel into the water. I mean, uh, Jeffrey, my producer, his. So I think last night they announced that if you live to the east of Forest Hill, Irene, you could be okay and you could drink the water if you did certain steps to flush your pipes, et cetera. And okay. it so happens that Jeffrey's parents. In fact, live right. They live basically within a block of Forest Hill Irene to the east. And so the question is, if that were you, would you really happily drink a glass of water? No, I'd be. I'd go to the. I'd go grab some bottled water wherever and I could. For how long? Would you forever? Like no, I'd try to flush them while I had the bottled water until everything got lifted. That's. I'd be. I'd be scared. I think that's exactly right. I think what's scary about it is. Wait, you're telling me you can say with precision that on this side, I mean, you know, I, they obviously do know, understand the water flow in the city. Right. So there's a reason they're saying that. They're not just making it up. But I think like you, I'd like, I'll just hold out till they say that everyone's cool. Yes. <laughs> you know, and then I'll, then I'll go back to drinking the water at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Talking with uh, Jeff Calkins, columnist of the Daily Memphis, and also hosts the Jeff Calkins Show 9 to 11 on, on Twitter or X at Jeff underscore Calkins. Now, um, 
I guess in Memphis sports, sort of the the weekend news was TFAL Leonard Jr. There's some uncertainty going on there with credits or what have you, or maybe he wants to move on. I, I'm not fully abreast of the situation, but the name Deshondre Washington was New Mexico State. He was part of the program that had to be shut down. He was accused of hazing. This is this is not a this is not the type of a story I, I wanted to read this weekend when it had to do with sort of uncertainty around TFAL Leonard and trying to replace him with a guy who is actively part of the reason a program had to completely shut down for an entire for, for the rest of their regular season and postseason play. Well, first of all, we don't really know. Uh, Leon Taylor has has tweet has uh, on social media, and he has uh, he reports good things, and 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 he has his ear to the ground, and so I. But but even he hasn't said this is someone Memphis is definitely pursuing. That's right. not something. And linked, so linked, linked was the word. Right. So we don't know for sure what 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 this means or whatnot. So. Um, so, so I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to react with alarm here. I do think it's an interesting question: um, what you, as a university, are willing to put up with, and where you, uh, you know, where you draw the line in terms of second chances. So, the allegations are um, that he was, uh, you know, part, and, and it's in a civil case. It's not in a, it's not in a criminal case. But the allegations are that he. Uh, engaged in, in really say, uh, hazing slash sexual assault of yep. his teammates, right? And um, and we do know that that the university uh, entered into an eight million dollar settlement, so there must have been something to this, right? It yeah. doesn't feel like it was just conjured out of thin air, and um, and so that seems like a bad thing. Is it worse than um, shooting at someone? And 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 like we know that the university is at least hanging in there for Mikey Williams, um, who is alleged in a criminal proceeding, which suggests real evidence. Right. Um, like they're alleged to be hanging in there with Mikey Williams. Like right. which is if you could if you if you were starting from scratch and running a program and all you know is these two things about these two players, right? That one is alleged to have shot at someone and alleged another is alleged to have uh, in a uh, in a vile and uh, way that borders on sexual assault, Hayes, the teammate. Who would you rather have on your team? I don't think it's clear. I don't want to deal with both at the same time, though. I guess is the point I'm getting at, right? <laughs> <laughs> just pick one, right? Like, like, we just don't want them both. <laughs> yes. Just let's, just let's not have them both. I, that's a that's a perfectly reasonable position, I suppose. Um, but then, and then the funny thing is, of course, is we don't even decide this in the abstract. We decide it. We don't decide it as what is right, what is wrong. What's what are we willing to? Who are we willing to give a second chance to? Who are we not willing to give a second chance to? We decide it, um, it, it in part based on the needs of the program. Like I heard Jason today, and I, I don't disagree with this, saying, "Hey, he's a wing." You know, if you look at the wing position right now, there's really some pretty good depth on the wing yep. that Memphis has, so you don't even really need him. Mm-hmm. Okay, but but should the decision about him be based on the depth of the team? Right. Or like, well, it's very clear. It feels like with Mikey, the fan base. I'd say that about the fan base writ large. The fan base is not one person that doesn't have one single view. It felt to me like at one point the fan base really wanted Mikey Williams, and now the fan base is saying, "Who needs Mikey Williams?" And the only difference 
isn't what Mikey Williams ever did or didn't do. It's only how much do you need him? And I think it's natural to think that way. But shouldn't we also sort of have some basic standard of what's acceptable right. and what's not? I or is agree. it always going to be I'm a sliding standard? It's a, I think it's I think it's human nature is to make it a sliding standard. Yep. I, and also, if 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 TFAL Leonard Jr. if they can figure it out, I think that's all. That's probably the the best plan of action. But I don't know how that's going to work out. I mean, I've heard a lot of different things, and I'm not willing to really drop yet. But it doesn't feel like that's that's looking overly positive. No, you hear both. You hear two. You hear two kinds of things. You hear um, there might be some reluctance given the the new depth of the team on his part. But right. then you also hear more recently, you've heard more about eligibility. Concerns. Yes. Um, so it feels, and that's all you can sort of say, it feels like it's looking uh, less and less likely that he'll be on the team. But let me ask you this. Does he, if, if he's not here, does that change how you feel about Mike? Does it make, does it make you more apt? I, I gather that Mike, they're not the same player. You know, one is more of an offensive player. T is more of a... You know, a guy who you can unleash defensively. Um, but does one have anything to do with the other for you? No, I mean, I, I don't think so. I mean, I guess you're freeing up a scholarship that could potentially be used, but I not really. Well, and they're both they're, – neither one will necessarily be playing point guard, and they'll both be – yeah, no, but yeah. Anyway, um, it is amazing, you know, that you, yeah. you, you wrestle with this stuff, and it's amazing that here we are um, – and you have this roster that is an ever-changing, ever-morphing roster in late July, mm-hmm. um, and then we got, and then we got, you know, University of Memphis Media Days, to, uh, conference Media Days tomorrow. Memphis, right? Uh, Ryan and four players will be talking tomorrow, but one of those players literally arrived for the tra- via the transfer portal. You know, never played it down for Memphis. That uh, it seems to me to be um, symptomatic of, of where we are in in college sports. Yeah, and I think tomorrow I I, I don't I don't usually expect much out of uh, media days with the AAC football wise. Well, we'll see. I guess we'll see. Kim Buckley, Kim Buckley, who was uh, writes writes about sports for the Daily Memphian. He called me today. and said, uh, "Now that I'm not writing as many sports columns and I'm more sticking to other stuff, um, he's covering this." And he called me today and he said, "Just wanted to pick your brain about how you've covered, you know, what your approach was to covering." conference media days in the past and i said i have never been to america on a conference media days that was my approach not because nothing against it the, the conference but the truth of the matter is the team that memphis that memphis readers cares about in that conference is memphis yep and you can get ryan and the players here so there's it, it didn't ever feel necessary particularly when the conference headquarters were in uh, Newport, Rhode Island. It didn't feel necessary to go to media days. Now it'll be interesting this year because um, new teams, you know, but yeah, new teams. Who's going to merge as the rival? Is and, and we can always rival? count on some type of quote from Mike Oresco about Power Six and powers that be in college yeah, football and you, college athletics. It's the same You'll thing, be- though. It's always it's it's the open letter he wrote that was like right. a, a million million words right. long. Exactly. He'll do the same exactly. thing though. It'll be yes. Don't call. It'll be well. And in fairness, at the you know the SEC media days, the commissioner's comments were entirely about uh, Congress needs to address NIL, which is something he's been talking about over and over and over again. So he just used it as a as a chance to just to reiterate what he's been saying. And so, if Oresco uses this as a chance to reiterate 
what he's been saying about don't use the word, you know, power account for let's not let's not talk about him like that anymore. Um, I, uh, that is what I expect. But uh, and it's fine. <laughs> like it's fine. We're still. It's still uh, going to be used. Uh, anyway. There's a power to everybody's. I mean, there's a there's a power struggle. That's just how it's going to be, and everybody understands there's very that. Clearly, too. Right. There's very clearly two. Yes. And um, and then beyond that, specifically one. But yes. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't. It's just, it's also weird to be going to a conference media event. I'm not saying we shouldn't be there as do. I'm actually not glad we are, but it's weird to be covering an event or, or just the nature of an event where you know Memphis would rather not be there in the first place. <laughs> you know, like that's, just, <laughs> that's the sort of the weird dynamic that has been true of Memphis really for the last two decades. Very true. That, the last three decades in their conference. They have been in conferences and hoping to dominate conferences that they didn't want to be in. You actively want to get out, right. Since 2000, <laughs> or, you know, whatever, or before. So um, it is a little, you know, you go in and you want to kick ass in a conference that you don't want to be in in the first place. Yep, very true. But we'll see it. We'll cover it tomorrow. Jeff, appreciate it, though. See you again. We'll do Bye. it again. That's Jeff Calkins at Jeff underscore Calkins. We'll talk to him again tomorrow, columnist of the Daily Memphis, and also host the Jeff Calkins Show, 9 to 11, right here on these airwaves. Now, um, one of the worst ownership tenures in American sports has finally come to an end, and that's Tanya and Dan Snyder. Finally out in lieu, we have Josh Harris taking over the Washington Commanders. I'll tell you about it. When we return, everything all the details, all the nasty details, right here on 92.9 FM ESPN. The Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Kuhn Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. Back rolling on the Gabe Kuhn Show, 92.9 FM ESPN. I always tell you about Old Dominic Tennessee Whiskey. It's distilled, barreled, aged, and bottled in Memphis. First time that's been the case since Prohibition. It is Memphis Whiskey. It's unto its own. Old Dominic Memphis Whiskey, if you will. Bottled in bond they have. They just released a single barrel. Hope you got a, your hands on it, but they have their regular black label. Old Dominic Tennessee Whiskey. Great flavor. Great flavor. Maple sugar charcoal distilling. So it's going to be great for sipping, putting neat. You can have it on ice, mix it with a lot of water, put it in your favorite cocktail. But it doesn't stop there for Old Dominic. Sometimes I miss the point there. OldDominic.com, you can check out all their great products. They have the Euling Station line. They have vodka, gin, whatever your heart desires, you can go buy there. Old Dominic, Tennessee whiskey along with their gin, everything else. And make sure you go down to the distillery. It's state-of-the-art. It's beautiful. You can get a drink while you're... Uh, downtown, hanging out, cap off a night with it. Go go, get a tour and tasting. Book that on OldDominic.com. You can host uh, events there, wedding, wedding reception. They have it all there. And it also, Old Dominic is, the official spirit of the Memphis Grizzlies. So there is two bar locations inside FedEx Forum that you need to check out, whether you're watching a comedian, going to see your favorite artist, watching games. Go to those two bar locations, get those craft cocktails, Old Dominic Distillery. Come say Hi. Now, if you're a Washington Commanders fan, you could have a celebratory drink. Because guess what? Dan Snyder is done. Dan and Tanya Snyder are out. And Josh Harris is officially in as the owner of the Washington Commanders. And Dan Snyder, I, I, it, it, it's 
It's crazy to think how bad of an owner and an ownership group he ran. And people will say one of the worst owners in the history of American sport. He, to me, is the worst owner in the history of American sport. He had more investigations than playoff wins, four to two, including the Beth Wilkinson investigation that the NFL seemingly got rid of John Gruden through, not him, not him, into sexual harassment, sexual misconduct within the workplace. He sued his own season ticket holders during the 2008 recession, despite claiming that he had a wait list that exceeded 200-plus thousand people for season tickets. He got caught at one point (laughs) selling expired peanuts, (laughs) expired peanuts at FedEx Field from Independence Air, an airline that had gone out of business and had not sent any new peanut shipments in over a year. He was forced to buy out his partners after it was revealed that he took out a $55 million loan without them knowing. Charged a team with $4.5 million advertising fee for putting the logo on his private jet. And if you look at attendance from when he took over to when he left, in 2008 when he took over and bought the team for right around $800 million, they were first in the NFL, the Washington Redskins at the time. They were first in the NFL in attendance. When he left... 32nd, dead last in the NFL in attendance. It's insane how bad, miserable of a human being he was throughout this entire process. And what happens on the back end? How does he get punished? How does he get punished? He gets a plus 656% return on his investment. He put $800 million down. He makes $6.05 billion on the sale, the largest in American history for the sale of a franchise. I I don't know why the system is the way it is. It's about revenue sharing and how the NFL goes about it. But it doesn't sit right with me that a guy that was so detrimental to the success of a franchise that was miserable consistently to his fans that allowed behind closed doors his employees to be sexually mistreated and he took pictures. There was pictures of cheerleaders, top It just goes on and on and on. The amount of investigations, again, exceeds what he did in career playoff wins, four to two. After all that, he sells his franchise for the most expensive price ever. That doesn't feel right to me. But I will say this. Ultimately, I'm glad to see him out of the NFL. I'm glad to see him done owning a franchise. He doesn't deserve it. The Washington Commanders deserve better. And they deserve to get a new stadium. They deserve for the fans to be treated well. They deserve not expired by a year peanuts at the stadium. It's good to see him out, but he certainly made his money on the way out. Josh Harris takes over, um, and I would imagine the bar's low, Connor. The bar's low for him to exceed. I think so. Yes. I think so, because I would agree with you. I do think that he might be the worst owner in American sports history. It's extremely gross that he's getting that price and he's getting that money because he was so horrific as an owner, owner that he's still coming out, you know, in a way that he could view on top. It's just that is the unfortunate reality of the times that we live in, if you know what I mean. But uh, yep. what do you think the first? I mean, do you think the name has to change? Um, I've I've heard mention. It's got, I've heard I, it mentioned. It's got to. It's terrible. But what do you go to? I, go Washington the football, football team, team wasn't bad. Wasn't bad. The football for me. team was kind of good. I liked that. It was that. all right. I, it was, was, was kind of goofy. It was kind of goofy, but you it always thought it was endearing. It was a holdover that 
people started to like. I think the Commanders is bad. I don't. It's think the so bad. Is it's so bad. I mean, but that that's been rumored that they're going to look into a name change. But I think it, how unserious is it to go back to Washington Football Team? I think people would like the story behind changing it back to Washington Football Team would be would sort of outdo the name in itself. I, I just to switch names three times in a five year period or two times in a five year period. That's that's a lot. The Washington Barbenheimers. <laughs> Barbenheimers. There you go. I think the Avengers was one of the names that got pitched by the uh, <laughs> it was, by the was it uh, really? by the fans. Yeah, that's fantastic. The Commanders ultimately won, but I, I mean, after all of this, I don't think a name change. I don't, I don't. I'm not worried about a name change. I'm worried more about them actually getting a stadium and having corporate donors that want to work with them again. Everyone pulled their name out because he took a 55 million dollar loan out without their without telling them. He just stepped all over the minority owners. Stepped all over his fan base all these years. Stepped all over the NFL, and the NFL allowed him to do it. Stressful stuff, nasty stuff, ultimately. But he's he's not he's not involved anymore. Good so riddance. Good. Yes, good riddance. Uh, happy to see you leave. Get the hell out. That's the truth of it. I but think I do I heard think there's something to be said from Mark when it happened. There's something to be said though. I, I I still hate the fact that it feels like. And I don't know at this point if it'll ever be investigated that much further. It feels like the NFL aided and abetted him throughout this process of trying to keep the sexual misconduct, everything, all the mo- uh, the, the the monetary issues. They tried to keep it under wraps for him this whole time. They protected him in a lot of ways. John Gruden was the guy who got uh, completely kicked out of the league for for good reason. Talking about Demora Smith, the head of the NFLPA, the way he did in a racial in a racial tone. He should have got kicked out, but the fact that he was the only person that got in trouble throughout 600,000 emails leaking in the Beth Wilkinson investigation, the NFL, as much as, you know, they're finally rid of this problem, I think there's more that we should be able to discover about 2008 to 2023 and what the Commanders, Redskins football team, what was going on behind closed doors. The NFL knows that, and it feels like they're never going to release that information. That's a frustrating feeling. Yeah, it feels like the NFL assumed that giving us a scapegoat or a person and like someone at the height of John Gruden would have just made it all go away. And it's like, no, no. we want everybody else to get the head. Still want to know? Too. Yeah, yeah, we still, still want to know. know. There's still an issue happening. It's still disgusting what happened. Let's and this not, guy's supposed this to doesn't any, make it all go away. There's a time where Dan Snyder was supposed to appear in front of Congress and talk about all these things, and he was over on a yacht going from port to port to avoid questioning. What does that tell you? He doesn't want to get questioned because he doesn't want to lie in front of Congress. Right? Like, it's just, there's so much left unknown about the tenure of Dan Snyder as the owner of the the Redskins football team commanders, and we'll never know it, unfortunately, until maybe years from now. We'll see. Decade from now, maybe there'll be a 30 for 30 on it. Oh, there's going to be a book. There's got to be a book. We'll see, but it's, it's nasty, the amount of information that is still out there that we have yet to discover. But I'm going to leave it at that because we have to talk about some Barbenheimer. We have some reviews coming. I'll tell you about what the uh, box office grossed. Um, but Barbie and Oppenheimer came out last week on Friday, and uh, it was a hit. 
It was a hit over the weekend. We'll get to that in small talk. On the other side, 92.9 FM ESPN. Here on 92.9, we talk ball every weekday from 4 till 7 p.m. Except right now. It's time for Big Man Small Talk on 92.9's Gabe Kuhn Show. And today is dedicated to Barbenheimer, the one and only Barbie and Oppenheimer opened, debuted on Friday. And it was a, it was massive. Uh, to be honest with you, massive box office returns. Barbie, $155 million gross. Oppenheimer, $80.5 million in, in gross, uh, gross money, gross dollars that were generated at the box office. Um, it's the first time in box office history that two movies opened over $80 million each. Um, it's only the fourth time that two movies opened at over $50 million each. I mean, it, it, it was great. I have to ask, though, first, before we get into the reviews from Connor Dunning himself, how was the, how was the scene? At the theater. Like, it be- better than I, I have, have seen in a long time, just sort of from the outside looking in. I, I've talked about it a few times. You know, we'll get into how good the movies were in just a moment. I, I will say they were both excellent. They were both excellent. I think that they lived up to the hype, and I don't think that this weekend would have been what it was uh, without the two movies being the level that they are. But there was a magic to the movies again of course. this weekend. Seeing people dress up, seeing people... <laughs> right kind of relate to one another just from seeing what they were wearing. Like, we got a ton of compliments on the shirts that we were wearing, and, you know, a lot of women were saying, hey, Barbie, to each other, and that's just that's just awesome. And there was there was a real electricity in the yeah, air. Yeah, of course. And being in the movie theater, especially a movie like Barbie, where it, it is a comedy, and hearing the, the joyous laughter of the entire crowd and everybody kind of being in on all of the jokes and getting the movie and really understanding what it was trying to say, there's something special to that. And, you know, it really reminded me of when I was a kid where – you know, every Friday or Saturday, the new movies would all be sold out, and that's what it was right. all weekend. You could, if you didn't have tickets before this weekend, you weren't getting a ticket. Every single showing of both movies were sold out. I heard that Malco had to add showings because the demand was there so much, and I think that that is a really special thing, and it doesn't happen all the time. I'm not sure if it's going to happen again anytime soon because it was such an organic way that this kind of came together. The two movies are. Polar the, opposites. The, I was going to say, the, con, the, are, the contrasting style of both. It's they just are complete polar opposites, and it really was, um, I think, a testament to the creators and the actors and the writers and the directors and the power of movies that can bring people together like they did this week. And it's, it's the reason I am so into movies is because yep. of a weekend like this. It unlocked something in people. It, it, it brought out a joy in people. It pro- brought out a kind of lightness to the weekend that I think that a lot of people needed. And you could see that, that little fire being ignited in, in, in people. And I don't know, it's just you don't get that from anything else. And uh, it was really special. I mean, it's and, been a long time since we had opening weekend like this. Yeah, it, it's, it's reminiscent of like a Marvel movie coming out, but there's something special to it because it wasn't a Marvel movie. It was yeah. two original stories being told. Yes, one was a major idea. IP and Barbie. I understand that. Some people might not love that as much, but it wasn't really about Barbie. Barbie was in it, but it was kind of used as an avatar to bring a message, a really important message to people. So um, I'll never forget it. Uh, it yep. lived up to the hype for me. For man. Sure. It lived up to the hype for me. Everybody that saw it with me. Um, and you still have that shirt. Of course a, I still have the shirt. Of, yes. of course I still have the shirt. I'll rock it a lot. <laughs> I love it. I love it now. Barbie, we'll start there. 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's the opener for them, even after the first weekend. You like the music in it, too? Good music? The you were music, telling me about that? The music was incredible it? in it. There, uh, there's a certain song. A lot song, of Dua Lipa. Well, there is a Dua Lipa song. There is a certain song that I wanted to play during this segment, but I, I considered it a bit of a spoiler, so I'll let people who haven't seen the movie see that. But 
Um, Barbie, it, it's pure joy from start to finish, man. Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling gave Oscar-worthy performances. Um, it's laugh-out-loud funny in a genuinely moving movie. It has some extremely important life lessons, I think. You know, I'm not going to pretend like I can relate to or, or even or even say what it means to women, but I saw it with my wife, and I saw right. how she reacted to it, and I've seen how a lot of women in my life have reacted to it, and it's so, so important, I think, for young women. But it's also really important for young men. And I think some of the lessons that I were able to take that I was able to take away from it, um, I think a lot of young men need to see this movie and they would be able to relate to it because the Ken character in it is amazing. Ryan Gosling, you could argue he steals the movie, even though I would say that without Margot Robbie, there is no Barbie movie. She's yeah. the backbone of this movie. Some of the things that she is able to do subtly are so difficult to do. She's one of the best actors that we have currently living right now. She's fearless, and I am so happy that she continues to make decisions and to work with creatives to push the limits. And that's what this movie did. The, the production design, the costume design were phenomenal, and yep. they are going to be up for Oscars. It was a sight to behold. They really captured that, that fun feeling that Barbie could have, but again, they used it to give a message that is so, so important, I think, to society today. Greta Gerwig, once again, uh, knocked it out of the park. Noah Baumbach uh, helped her with the script. It was tremendous. I cannot stress enough, though, how good the performances are in this movie. And America Ferrara kind of sums up the movie in one monologue that really hit and was really powerful. Um, there's a specific scene that was favorite of mine where it's Margot Robbie sitting on the bench with an older woman. Right. And their interaction, I thought, was very emotional and very important to how people see themselves as they age now. And it just has so many important little messages in there about accepting yourself, being happy with who you are. And even if you may not know what your purpose is right now, you'll be able to find it. And it's okay. It's okay. You are enough just being you yes. is kind of the message it's of this movie. And, and it does has a ton of femininity in it. And that's fantastic because, hey, you know, Throughout movie history, we have all these movies made for men, and yes, we have very correct. few made for women. And, and you, this it, is one that it, it was it, they nailed it. They absolutely right. nailed it, and I'm happy that this movie exists. And every single man out there trying to mansplain this yeah, movie you, to you, women, you, shut up! <laughs> just shut up, dude. The, the manly, it's the manly, the manly man reaction to to Ken being somewhat objectified it's is hilarious. So it's so oh yeah, we've never done that to women before in in, in the theater, have we? Huh? It's so ridiculous. Good lord. But, no, the music, the acting, the performances, the set design, the direction, the writing, everything in between, right. phenomenal. I cannot recommend Barbie enough. It's one of the most fun times I've had in a movie theater in a very long time. Watching a comedy with a packed theater, you can't beat it. You just you just can't beat it. Now, are we ready for a, a vibe switch here? A little bit of a vibe switch? A little Oppenheimer, 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Come on, Connor. You know, we're waiting for it. Get, holler at us. Holler at us. <sighs> Biopic. Man. Uh, Been a while. Oppenheimer was a right there with American Sniper. Uh, I believe it, it yeah. beat out. It, it beat out. Beats, no, beats no, no. But I'm saying, it, as far as box office returns, sure. I believe beat Not out even as, in the same realm of movies. Beat, but but beat out American Sniper as I think all time most grossing at the box office biopic. So this uh, was Christopher Nolan's magnum opus. Really, it is a visceral viewing experience that is at times overwhelming. Um, not in a bad way, though, but it's overwhelming. The pure achievement of what happened in this film with the performances, the direction, the cinematography, the practical effects and the visuals that you see, knowing that they're real and that there is zero CGI involved in this movie, 
it allows you to connect to the film in a deep way that I don't think is possible with movies that are completely filled with with CGI and things like that. Right. It, it takes away from it. I mean, it's seeing this movie in IMAX was so engaging and it is such a important movie in I think film history moving forward because it can show the power of what happens when you give a filmmaker the keys and you just let them cook. Yeah. I cannot overstate how unbelievable the performance in this movie this movie really are. Um, Killian Murphy is a lock to win the Oscar in my opinion. I think it's a career defining performance. Career defining. Yes. Now you got to holler at me about Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. was phenomenal okay. because he's not doing the Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man thing. Right. He's playing a different type of character. He's also a type of character where you don't really fully know what his motivations are until kind of closer to the end of the film. The actual bomb explosion, this isn't a spoiler, is one of the most striking, tense visuals and moments I've ever witnessed in a movie theater. When that bomb goes off, yeah, you can feel people tensing up and waiting for that shockwave to hit. And when it does, it is, like I said, it's visceral. You have a real reaction to it. And the latter half of this movie turns into a horror movie because it puts the realities of what happened to the forefront yep. and it it shows Oppenheimer struggling with what he did it also shows how easy it was for some people to make these decisions there's a certain scene where they are talking about where they decide to drop the bombs and it is heartbreaking when yep. you realize how easy it was for some of these people to make these decisions and um, there's a certain scene with, with a rally I won't spoil it but it is horrific it's truly horrific when you see what's happening and the beginning of the movie connects to the end in such a beautiful, phenomenal way, a heartbreaking way. It's going to stay with me for a long time. This yeah. is one of those movies where you walk out of it and you're almost like in a haze. You almost feel like you're outside of your body in a yeah. way. Um, it's such a different viewing experience from Barbie. To be quite honest, I don't know how people could see this before Barbie because it has yeah. such an impact on you because it is so real, the things are, that, that it is saying. Um, the, the supporting performances in it, other than Robert Downey Jr., are... Unbelievable. Um, there's a thing that people like to say where Dion Waiters comes in and uh, for supporting actors, but there are so many performances that they're on screen for five minutes and they hit like 93s and just blow the, the doors off the screen. Yep. And then they're just gone for yep. the rest of the movie. It is such an achievement in filmmaking. I think that you could argue that it is Christopher Nolan's best film. I think that right now it's probably the favorite to just clean up at the Oscars. Um, I think Killers of the Flower Moon might be able to catch it, but again, a lot of those people in that movie besides Lily Gladstone already have their Oscars, so it's going to be hard to have to justify not giving Nolan, Killian Murphy. Emily Blunt is a force yep. of nature in yep. this movie. There's a certain scene with her when she's in a desp uh, deposition, and what she does with it is just, it's like watching Jordan in his prime. It, it, truly <laughs> phenomenal. I cannot recommend these two movies enough. I also recommend watching them as a double feature. I do think it was great. Watch Barbie first, though, because Oppenheimer is so much to try to process in sh such a short amount of time that it you need some you need some time with it. You need to be able to sit with it and think about it. And again, I'm playing the score right now. Ludwig uh, Gorenson, phenomenal, just yep. absolutely insane score. The cinematography, the editing is at a it's just, it's going, it's moving so fast for a three-hour movie, but you're able to keep up with it because he does play with time like Nolan always does. But it's an achievement in right. filmmaking. That's the best way to sum it up. It is Isaiah Downey, who a lot of you know is my movie guy. He's one of my best friends. When it ended, he just looked at me and he said, I think I watched Citizen Kane. And I was like, yep. Are you, maybe so. 
And the fact that this movie, a three-hour epic about the A-bomb, is getting sold out still to this day. Right now, it is sold out in theaters. Right now, for an yep. afternoon showing. Um, movies are back, baby. Movies yep, are back. for sure. And both these movies cooked at the box office. And Connor Dunning, because it was such a big, big weekend for him, I had to let you cook. Thank I had you. to let you cook, my brother. I know people were waiting for that. But we have one hour left in the show, and we're going to switch gears completely, get back into a little bit of sports. We have the Blitz coming up at 6.30, but coming up next, finally get to catch up with them. Finally back from vacation. That would be Eric Hasseltine, the radio voice of the Grizzlies. We'll talk about the offseason, the NBA as a whole, next right here on 92.9 FM ESPN. 